<clears throat> well, this is my last Sunday with you as Director of Christian Education. And I refuse to say goodbye. I am simply saying see you later. I'm going to take off my earring because it keeps hitting the mic and it's bothering me. <coughs> as I was preparing for this morning, I struggled a little bit with what to say. Do I talk about all of the wonderful aspects of this congregation that I fell in love with? Do I talk about how the strength and encouragement from my friends on the CE committee and the Adult Faith Formation Committee, the staff, the parents, and really all of you have helped to sustain and encourage me? Do I talk about how hard it is to leave a group of folks that I now call family and that I love so much. And ultimately, I decided to get out of the way and explore what God would have me do and say today. So my hope is that it honors you both. Pray with me. Holy God, let these sacred moments we are about to share not be about me, but let them point to you your unending grace and steadfast love. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth bring praise and promise to you, O God. Amen. It seems to me God's people don't always act like God's people. And God doesn't always act like God, or at least the way I think. God should behave sometimes. Now, this is not a new dilemma for me, but rather this is something that I have struggled with for a good part of my life. And this realization first occurred to me when I was a kid. I can vividly remember on my seventh birthday praying for snow. I desperately wanted to wake up and see at least an inch of the white stuff on the ground. I wanted to feel it crunch beneath my feet. I wanted to taste its coldness on my tongue and dance and twirl in the brilliance of snow. My birthday being in February, I felt like I had a pretty good shot that God would answer my prayer. So I prayed for weeks, almost a month, leading up to the morning of my birthday. Oh, how I longed to dance in the snow. The problem with this prayer was that I lived in southern Florida. <laughs> now, you can imagine my disappointment when I awoke the morning of my birthday and there was no snow. There was plenty of sand, but no snow. In my seven-year-old mind... God had not answered my prayers. As I grew, the disappointments in God tended to grow also. And sometimes they have left me feeling as though God has left me, or at least God may not be as interested in my life as I think maybe God should be. How could God allow a high school friend of mine to die of a heart attack in the hallway? Why did my parents' marriage implode after 27 years? How 
did God allow a dear friend of mine's daughter to die in the Oklahoma City bombing? And why can't I get her limpless and lifeless body out of my head? Why was I diagnosed with a chronic autoimmune disease? How could my friends and family turn their back on me all because of who I love? Why didn't I get to say goodbye to my dad when he died? Seriously, God? This is how you work? Sometimes God's people don't act like God's people, and sometimes God doesn't behave the way I think God should behave. Now, I can imagine everyone here has felt this same way at times, struggling with your faith, God, and God's people. How could God allow your child to have a birth defect, a chronic illness, a disability? Perhaps you're wondering why you lost your job or didn't get that big promotion. Or maybe you're struggling with why God allowed the divorce, the death, or the diagnosis. I suppose you may even be contemplating how and why your Christian friend could disappear in your hour of need, or why a family member could behave so cruelly. It's in these times of hurt and despair that we often raise our fists at God and cry for God to tear open the heavens and rain down on our situation. It's also in these times that we can struggle most with our faith. Now, I have come to understand that there are really just two kinds of faith. One says if, and one says even if. One says, if everything goes well, if my life is prosperous, if I'm happy, if no one I love dies, if I'm successful, then, then I'll believe in God and I'll say my prayers and I'll go to church and I'll give as much as I can afford. The other kind of faith says, even if. Even if the causes of evil prosper, even if I get the diagnosis, even if I lose the job, the spouse, the friend, the family member, even if I drink my personal cup of Calvary, nevertheless, precisely then, I will trust the God who made me. I had the opportunity not too long ago to have dinner with Dr. Walter Brueggemann and some clergy friends. And over the course of the evening, Dr. Brueggemann shared his wisdom and experience of faith. Faith is not easy, he declared. It calls for a persistence which is against common sense. It calls for believing in a gift from God which none of the present data can substantiate. I think that that's it, really. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting in the goodness of God 
despite all apparent evidence against it. Now, the Bible models both this simple faith and hang-on-against-all-odds faith, and we see this play out in our passage today. As Abraham sends Hagar into the wilderness of Beersheba with just a skin of water and some bread. And we know from verse 11 that Sarah's request to cast out Hagar and Ishmael was very distressing to Abraham. You see, Sarah had no room for Abraham's oldest son or his mother. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. So Abraham takes a skin of water and some bread, he gathers up Hagar and Ishmael, and he sends them into the wilderness. I have so many questions and and a few problems with this passage. The bottom line is this is not how I expect God to behave. It's difficult for me to reconcile a God of love casting a woman and her son out into the wilderness alone. Why would God do such a thing? I mean, on its face, it seems like a death sentence. And how could Abraham go along with such a crazy plan? How could he be okay with sending his son, his own flesh and blood, out into the wilderness? How far did he expect them to get? I mean, they only had a bit of blood and a skin, or bread and a skin of water. Or was Abraham exercising faith? Trusting in the goodness of God despite all apparent evidence? Was Abraham trusting God to keep God's promise and provide for his son and Hagar? After the bread and the water subside, Hagar is despondent and desperate. She places her son Ishmael underneath the tree, and she goes on ahead because she cannot bear to see the sight of her dying boy. And she lifts her voice to the heavens, and she weeps. And perhaps Hagar had given up on the God of Abraham. Maybe she had lost her faith. It's easy for me to understand if she had. After all, God's people don't always act like God's people. And God doesn't always behave the way that we think God should behave. But you see, God has a special commitment, a promise that God has made to Ishmael back in chapter 16. And so, in a long narrative about Isaac, we find here extended attention given to Ishmael. We find here a promise of being a great nation and an assertion of God's abiding presence. God is knitting together the life of Ishmael and Hagar just as much as God is knitting together the life of Of Abraham and Sarah. There is no stigma attached to this other son for God. 
The other son, Ishmael, is not to be dismissed from the family, despite all apparent evidence. The Bible is rich with stories of people like Hagar that endure droughts when miracles do not happen, when urgent prayers drop back to earth unanswered, and when God seems not just distant, but wholly absent. We can learn from their faith, their even-if faith, their trusting in the goodness of God, despite all apparent evidence against it. We who follow their faith today may sometimes also experience times of unusual closeness with God when God seems responsive to our every need. We may also experience times when God stays silent and all of the Bible's promises seem to be glaringly false. What kind of faith do we have then? Although the story of Hagar occurred thousands of years ago, in a very distant time and place, I believe there are still aspects of this story that ring true for us today. Imagine with me a modern-day Hagar telling us her story about an encounter with God going something like this. I'm sitting on a quaint front porch with God. We're alone, just God and me. I am perched on the edge of the swing on the porch and my legs swing back and forth as I anxiously swing. God is sitting in a rocking chair across from me and she's knitting. God knits, it turns out. I'm really mad at God and I'm glaring at her as she rocks back and forth. She, God that is, won't ask me what's wrong. I'm waiting for her to ask. I am dying for her to ask. I breathe as deeply and as loudly and with as much angst as possible. Nothing. Nothing disturbs her peace. Nothing breaks her concentration. She's not curious. Not at all. Shouldn't she be curious? I sigh loudly again. Nothing. So I just start. I'm going to be alone, aren't I? You're not going to take care of me, are you? And I'll never have another baby, will I? And Abraham, what, what about that? Is that going to crumble too, God? 
You're going to leave me alone and empty-armed and struggling, aren't you? Aren't you? I know you are. Please, fix this. If you don't, that's it for us. I'm not kidding, God. I'll quit trying not to be a jerk. I'll quit talking to you and caring about other people and smiling so much. I'll spend all my money on fancy makeup and clothes, and I'll spend countless hours watching mindless TV like Say Yes to the Dress. I'm serious. Friendship with you is just too exhausting. I'm going to have to quit you based on principle and confusion alone. If you don't pull through for me this time, it's atheism. Atheism. Take that. God keeps knitting. Then she smiles, holds a stitch for a moment. She looks at me with her soft, crinkly eyes. And she says, Honey, you are so angry. I understand. I love you so much. Would you like me to stop knitting so that we can talk about all this? I think for a minute and I look at the knitting in her lap. I gaze at the part that's done. It's breathtaking. It's all green and blue and pink, and it has threads of gold and silver going through it. And I notice there's a pattern. I see them. They swirl wildly, wildly, but, but then I see that pattern. And the pattern is me. I am beautiful and swirly and wild. No, I say. Don't don't stop. Because she's knitting my life. I am what her hands are working on. And I want her to concentrate. I trust her. God, I say, I'm going to dance while you knit. I'm just going to dance. God looks up at me and says, That's all I've ever wanted you to do, sweetheart. You dance, and I'll keep knitting. It's going to be beautiful, honey. I promise. The next time you are not sure what in the world God is up to, why God isn't acting, 
and it feels as if God is not even listening. Ask yourself this question. Am I trusting in the goodness of God despite all apparent evidence against it? And then, dance and let God knit her work. <laughs>